Welcome to Seed Phrase, a podcast speaking with people close to art, blockchains, or both. Seed Phrase is hosted by the New Institute Hamburg and is recorded there with a live audience. I'm Simon Denny, an artist who unpacks stories about technologies, and I ask each guest to choose 12 words, their personal seed phrase, which is then minted as an NFT. For this installment, Toby Shoran, a writer and founding member of the applied research organization Other Internet, called in from New York to share some thoughts about how crypto can be harnessed for the broader public good and what buzzwords like public goods actually refer to in Web3, with a little help from Hannah Arndt. We also discuss Other Internet's recent work with art institutions and how models drawn from crypto can create more transparency and accountability, including an experiment initiated by the Department of Decentralization, Hido Style, and Toby's resulting new ideas about how crypto has changed art collecting from public institutions to DAOs. Despite his assertion that he's not an art person, we got into his theories on the diminishing marginal value of aesthetics and how he's revised his thinking on the topic in light of the emergence of NFTs. My first prompt to him was to give us a general background on who he is, what he does, and how he started doing it. I'm a writer and a technologist. I'm the founder of Applied Research Organization, Other Internet. And yes, I've had many past lives in my career. I was a designer and a product manager at like early stage startups. I didn't really feel like I had found my um, community or people there. And I became somewhat more known for writing cultural theory or criticism online. But I felt that I really wanted to like take that type of work seriously. And it brought me in touch with a bunch of other people who were doing the same kind of work, paying attention to the things in the way I wanted to pay attention to them and making serious intellectual contributions in a sort of para-academic way. And... After a while, some of those people had coagulated around and were publishing on the other internet website. Other internet was a website. It was a you know an LLC for my consulting practice. But things started to change when we started doing more work together. Um, that was actually of a more applied sociology or like applied uh, social theory that incorporated elements of of like um, sociological or ethnographic practices in the crypto space. And that led to us getting a really big grant. And five of us started working full time on uh, this organization. And we think we're going to be around in another five years. And what it looks like then will be a real applied research organization, like a something that isn't a think tank, that isn't a new university, that also isn't a startup, but that works on technology issues in a way that like those existing fields don't or, or can't. Mm. Thank you for that little introduction of who you are. I think it's a a really interesting path. And I mean, I try to invite people onto this conversation that are doing things between blockchains and art, but it's skewed a little bit towards blockchain so far. Um, And a lot of people I've talked to so far have kind of been working in and out of different contexts. And I think Mm -hmm. you've described um, that process yourself of how you've moved between being in companies, uh, writing informally, obviously consulting, and then kind of coming together Um, in other ways where you engage, I guess, directly with some crypto communities, which is funded also by some grants coming from crypto, um, but you also do other activities at the same time, right? Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah, so maybe we can look into uh, the kind of guiding principles of this conversation, your seed phrase, uh, which you shared with me. Let's go. We've got like 12 words uh, that you came up with, and I 
yeah, every time I give this to a different person, they treat it in a slightly different way. And I think it's really interesting that you have chose to uh, start and end your 12 words with the word public and good, um, because that is, uh, yeah, that's a very interesting way to focus on something that you have, or I mean, other internet has definitely been looking into uh, what are public goods. And I think uh, there was a research paper called Positive Some Worlds, uh, which was published in July 2021. And I think that was exactly framing this question of what are public goods vis-a-vis crypto and blockchains. So maybe I'd invite you to start with public good, those two words, and explain a little bit uh, blockchains, public goods, and yeah, how you pass that territory. Yeah. So public goods have become something of a meme in, in crypto, I would say in no small part due to Vitalik Buterin memeing them into into relevance and also the the Gitcoin team, um, Gitcoin being an organization that, among other things, does uh, grants for public goods in the crypto space. Um, public goods have a long the- history of being defined in in different ways, and they're related to other topics like commons. But they are typically considered, like in the economic sense, things that are not excludable and non-rivalrous so your use of them doesn't exclude somebody else's use of them mm-hmm. and your it also doesn't degrade other people's other people's use to, to some degree now a lot of crypto protocols are more like club goods um than strict public goods per se but uh crypto has like somewhat adopted this term to refer to things that like be because crypto is open source and it which means you can use it you can you can fork it. Um, it's like the the code is there. It's available, and your use doesn't degrade somebody else's use. You can and it, you can't be excluded from using it. Crypto has kind of adopted this term to refer to uh, the type of protocols that are being built. However, we kind of took issue with the way that this allows crypto protocols to claim a kind of positive moral valence, while in fact they are still rather exclusionary. In fact, like your use does degrade other people's use in in large aggregate because gas fees are very competition over block space in Ethereum, for example, makes gas fees very um, high. And in order to experience the benefits of like certain open protocols, like you actually have to be bought in to a certain degree. Um, so, so public goods in crypto, in our criticism, like serve to only really benefit token holders, and that's a very limited conception of. That, that's one type of public, for sure. But that's also a very limited conception of like what the public could be. And since crypto tends to draw on these uh, very rich analogies to the nation state, mm-hmm. um, it, it seems like a ripe, the, the theme of the public is a very ripe area, I think, for, for intervention and like further criticism and thought about um, yeah, what publics technologies or blockchains or cryptocurrencies ought to be ought to be in service of yeah i mean that's a really uh, interesting way to frame it because i think i actually only first heard the term public goods through people in crypto talking about it i'd never in- encountered the the idea i've heard of public infrastructure and i think um, there's some projects in the new institute which are also working on trying to make data uh, more um mm. public mm-hmm. for example and uh and certainly data sovereignty is something that is really um thought about a lot in the new inter- uh 
new institute context um, within certain yeah. programs here. But public goods as a as an idea, I thought it. Uh, I had many many projections on what it might mean at first, um, and then somebody in crypto told me, oh, it actually means like roads and things that everybody uses, but not one private person yeah. builds. But how do you extract that out from uh, from a nation state context when you're thinking about networks that are built in a supranational way across different regions and used by many different people, right? So I thought that was like an interesting way to think about it. It was like, you know, if a road wasn't built by a state, but if other things that everybody uses, but nobody explicitly pays for, that's what a public good is. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you go, I guess like Ethereum is is more like a a road that's used by a state, but it's still a toll road, right? Like it's still, right. it, it's, it's not built by the state, but um, which, which makes it an interesting kind of, yeah, um, self-sovereign space as I'm sure crypto people would be happy to hear me say, but it is also, it's, this, it's more like a club good than a true public good because it is like, like you, you pay gas fees to use it. It's like a membership um, thing. And of course some blockchains gas fees are very low, so it's a little bit different, but um, most people's experiences with Ethereum, but we might be getting too into the weeds here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought what was also interesting about Other Internet when I came across it is that you're explicitly an organization which is trying to address what is being built in crypto and uh, make it a clearer, more, I guess, more good environment in general, if we want to stick to those words. I think uh, you obviously see the value in crypto and where it's going and what it's what's being built but it's also something that you want to have independent or semi-independent bodies doing research which are not towards building the company as such, but doing other things at the same time. Um, is that right? Yeah. I read a, a tweet a while back or a couple of days ago that said something along the lines of like the, the degree to which crypto will evolve into something actually good and useful is a function of how much honest... Uh, good faith criticism there is in about and in within the space and i i think that the people in and around other internet are one of the more potent sources of that view right now mm -hmm. um i would love to see more but a lot of takes on crypto are, are bad faith and but i also think that that the there the applied portion of of the research is and and the work is also important towards driving those ends yeah I, I was also inspired by the fact that you drew on for um for this essay that uh public goods was kind of like introduced in the lexicon let's say of um other internet positive some worlds that you uh, started with a hannah arendt um quote that was uh to live together in the world means essentially that a world of things is between those who have it in common as a table is located between those who sit around it and I guess this was possibly hinting to the fact that sitting around a table also involves a, a table and those who are sitting at it and those who are not sitting at it, right? Is that, is mm -hmm. that the thought? Yeah, totally. And I, what I think is, Hannah Arendt is a really inspiring philosopher um, for many reasons, but like she has such a healthy respect for like the viability of of human action, like the viability of doing stuff and even speech as like a political act that she she has a real intuitive sense for like that spirit of of human life mm. um and i i think that there's a lot of that rhetoric in the in the crypto space um but much more mimicking 
there's there's a lot of like liberatory rhetoric and talk about establishing like you know self-sovereign states or whatever but in in reality it's like a highly mimetic space with a lot of people copying the most like the viable looking things and not a lot of fast innovation or like um political stances being taken Mm -hmm. um yeah, I think it's a very noble thing in some ways that other internets tries to do, and I think it's like a really interesting format for it. Maybe moving on to some more words that you've put uh, in your seed phrase, uh, mm-hmm. imagination yeah. and uh, spirit, another couple that I pulled out. And I guess maybe using the framework of public goods um, to dream up a world of uh, positive some worlds, which is another phrase which I think I pulled out from uh, mm-hmm. some of that writing. Maybe you can kind of go into more expensive conceptions of, of what a public could be in a, in a blockchain world. So what if it wasn't just uh, people who held certain tokens within certain groups? What would a more expensive public look like from your, your research and, and other internet? Is that a fair question? Mm, that, yeah, um, it's, it's definitely a pertinent question. Um, one of the themes that we are working on, that I, I work on very closely with my colleague Brian and an outside collaborator, Nadia Asparova is looking into crypto philanthropy, mm-hmm. um, which is a very large, there's a very large volume of, of like charitable and philanthropic activities funded with crypto wealth. Um, so one interesting answer to this question is uh, around like crypto's potential, the, a, a positive sum world that crypto might enable. One potential answer to that question is the biggest lasting impact of crypto will actually simply be the philanthropic activities that are funded by crypto gains, Hmm. not crypto itself. Like Hmm. in the piece, we talked about one positive externality from crypto being wider adoption of public key cryptography and just setting a higher standard for like cryptographic um, tools in general. Mm -hmm. Um, but that may not be, you know, completely satisfying to everyone <laughs> as like a, a world. So you, you have to ask, like, is, I think if you ask honestly, has crypto produced any other type of like public good? It's hard to point to one. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's interesting that, I mean, you're coming at at it from more of an art context. And I think one interesting thing is that it has made a uh, established a kind of different rule set for talking about um, paying artists. And a lot of artists have gotten paid, whether that is a world or a moment, I'm not sure. Right. Um, But it's, it's certainly hard to point to the thing that crypto has done right now that is like truly in the service of like a very large group of people and like scaling in the way that we hope it, it like other positive effects would, but it also seems so so maybe one interesting way to look at it is more like, what are, what can we take from blockchains or crypto like to build public goods that are not thought of as crypto? Like Mm -hmm. why you could also ask this question of like, tech tech is more of a culture than like a a set of things it's like a whole bunch of different technologies but like what can you take from like software as a service or cloud services as an architectural model and like apply to government services for example Mm -hmm. i think you could ask that same type of question about crypto and 
you don't want to be a hammer looking for a nail, of course. You don't want to introduce incentives into every problem. Um, you know, means testing on the blockchain just sounds really bad, but that might be the way yeah. to, instead of looking at it as like, what's crypto's positive externalities? Like, can we squint really hard to try to find them? I, I'm more like the the idea of, is there can, is there something useful in this that we can apply in a way that isn't being thought about right now? Hmm. Yeah, inspiring ideas. Um, I also want to move on to a couple more of your words, uh, procedure and automation. And maybe in that my mind um, brought me to some of the really empirical research that you're looking into uh, with your work with other internet. I think one of the one of the biggest things you've done um, is really going into a protocol and spending time, like a protocol that a lot of people use, Uniswap, which is an exchange where people can uh, anybody can come and exchange, for example, ETH for Bitcoin or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you went in with your full team to see what actually happens in their Discord, to see what type of uh, social behavior was going on, and to really kind of analyze uh, the problems that was going on. And mm -hmm. I, think, I think I've heard that described as like um, improving or aiming to improve the social governance layer of Uniswap, because I think um, something that happens a lot in these crypto communities and Uniswap is a very uh, big one. Uh, it's a very significant one, right? Uh, is that there's a lot of very asymmetric things uh, that aim to be more uh, less hierarchical, let's say, right? Because um, maybe yeah. maybe you want to kind of go into that work because I think this empirical work that other internet are doing is something that I really admire as an artist mm -hmm. um, because within my own practice, I try to go and uh, learn from things and then kind of express things out of those experiences with, let's yeah. say, businesses or people. And maybe you can talk about that, your your approach to this kind of in-depth look at, at Uniswab. Yeah, I guess like, what do they call this in, in like the anthropology world? Action research, perhaps. Right. Uh, I think is like one term for it. And like, I think you definitely do do this type of, um, you have this type of approach as well. Um, maybe you can first describe Uniswab as well. Words. Yeah, yeah. What was like, that? Maybe you can first describe Uniswap as well for those who aren't familiar sure. with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uniswap is a decentralized exchange. Um, so it is a. <laughs> I would not have expected myself to be working on a large piece of fintech infrastructure, um, but here we are. Uh, it's basically instead of a centralized exchange which has servers and it like holds large pools of all the different currencies you might want to exchange so you can swap them within one another. Uniswap is a protocol. It doesn't hold anything. It's just um, pools of money that like, people can contribute to. And you, you basically participate in a decentralized exchange system instead of like dropping your money somewhere for it to be used. And mm, I won't go into a more technical explanation of how it works, but um, the governance aspect is that it's um, Uniswap dropped a token to all of its users about two years into its life. Um, and it is a token weighted shareholder voting. So there are a few different parameters or things that like can be changed about the protocol. And in order for those things to be changed, all of those actors who have the uni token need to need to vote to do things. Now th there is, um, certainly one dynamic of, of it is like the, unequal voting power, but there's a lot of other dynamics that we've figured out by like going in and kind of interviewing people, deeply trying to understand 
all of the different actors and their incentives and the, the social dynamics, which can get quite nuanced and, and subtle at play with how um, like the fear of regulation, like has like a cascading effect on um, different parties who have different amounts of power over each other, or like the way in which like information is withheld and Uniswap being one of a lot of protocols did this after Uniswap, Uniswap being one of the first to do this airdrop to people um, to give them governance power. Uh, other folks, other, other protocols have built out more infrastructure to like make governance decisions flow smoothly. Um, in the absence of that in Uniswap, a lot of coordination work needs to go into getting things done. We were tasked with doing governance experiments um, in the protocol with this grant. And as soon as we started looking into it, we realized uh, that experiments, it's, it's almost too na nascent for experiments. There are a lot of really basic things that need to get done, just setting up better lines of communication between delegates, um, making the governance process like flow a little bit more smoothly, putting people and teams in positions of responsibility so that somebody actually takes ownership over the decisions that, that are getting made. Um, and I don't think that what's good for Uniswap is, is the same as what's good for any protocol. We would approach it very differently with a different project. But um, in this situation, we do need to put procedures in place such that um, this kind of slow moving monolith of a thing can like be a little bit more nimble and like respond to um, the speed at which like the crypto space evolves better. I didn't really talk about automation, but I think what's interesting, the automation part is what, what's weird about this is that we're not really accountable to anyone. We're not accountable to Uniswap labs. They don't manage us. We're not accountable to the grants program. What we're accountable to is this paperclip maximizer called Uniswap protocol. And that's, that's very odd. Like it's, it's automated. It's an automated thing. And as long as there are people who want to participate in the, in the protocol, it will keep functioning. It'll keep working. And I think that's, that's a, the, that's the unique feature of these protocols that is interesting, but also complicated. It makes them untaxable. It makes them, um, unclear which jurisdictions have power over them. Um, and, um, and it makes us not have anyone to whom we technically are responsible, which is sometimes an uncomfortable feeling. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, an idea of a public and being responsible, uh, I guess they're kind of, you know, integrated, um, I mean, one, one question I had prepared was like, how, how can people beyond uh, major on-chain stakeholders, so people who have these tokens you mentioned, uh, influence the direction of a protocol like Uniswap or others like it? At the moment, I think there's, there's none, right? That's, uh, that's the only way you can uh, have an influence over it is to kind of be involved and also be a, a financial stakeholder in some ways. Is, is that right? Or, or did you explore other exactly ideas? True. Yeah, we okay. have to. We don't have a long standing stake in uni yeah um, right true we got we get granted uni and we have to sell it to finance our operations but we have accumulated social power and this th i think my honest answer is you know if, for anyone who happens to be listening who feels somewhat interested in this like if you have the ambition you can kind of take over these protocols hmm. Um, some of them at least. Some of them are more heavily managed or operated by like the core teams, but um, with Uniswap, there's certainly a power vacuum. Um, and in, in other cases, there are power vacuums 
as as well. Um, where where there are people trying to do a decentralized thing while the regulatory environment is still unclear, um, they, they're where um, this like split between like a, a core team working on the protocol and then the governance organization is uh, the, the model that's being chosen. It's definitely possible to simply take over uh, <laughs> and like accumulate power in the governance side of the, of the protocol. Um, and if you have good intentions, I would kind of encourage it. That's very interesting. Also, as, as part of um, Positive Some Worlds, that essay that we keep referring back to, I remember um, Gitcoin, another project, uh, being kind of put forward as an example of a more expansive public goods. Is, is, is that something uh, compared to Uniswap, once you've been into the weeds of that uh, project, you would still uphold? Or have you shifted a little bit on that idea? Or Gitcoin isn't a protocol. It's like okay. a grant-making organization and right. um, that uses the like a, a mechanism to dish out the funding that they receive. So if, unless they were to become a protocol, I wouldn't really call them a public right. good per right. se. Right. That makes it yeah. so it's, it's not something to, maybe you can, yeah. They're an institution. Yeah. They're like they're, they're a philanthropic institution effectively. Well, maybe that is a nice uh, transition to the next couple of words I'm pulling out of your seed phrase, which is uh, discourse and, and liberal. Uh, which are which are interesting ones, and maybe that made me think also of uh, the project I know you did recently at the Bundeskunsthalle to take it closer a little bit to mm -hmm. art, or that you were involved in, with a number of other actors, uh, Hido Steil being one of them, and uh, the Department of Decentralization being another, uh, Kolya Reichart, the the curator there, being another. So uh, you guys went in and kind of tried to participate in a kind of um, I guess a an example of how you could interface crypto uh, governance styles uh, with art institutions. Uh, that's, that's how I would kind of high-level summary it. Do you want to go into that project, your role in that, and, and what you think was interesting uh, about that? Yeah. I mean, at first, maybe a word on Other Internet's relationship to art. <laughs> like, a lot of the people who work at Other Internet have had a lot of contact with art and, like, art maybe have more of, or less of a background none of them were like really professional artists, but we all have had like a hand in art space in some way. And I think art continues to be a, a productive space for thinking and ideas that like we can then try to apply. Um, but we also like don't really think of ourselves as like working in that space. So it's always curious to us that like we get pulled in, um, <laughs> but it's cool. In this case, Hito's turned out to be a fan of the public goods piece as well. Um, and she has done a lot of work on um, crypto, um, thinking about public arts institutions. And she effectively asked us to make this proposal about um, like how the, the Bundeskunsthalle would be, uh, like could operate, um, or really it was about the governance of this ENS domain, which she squatted, which is bonuskunsala.eth. And the, our proposal was, um, in short, to introduce a kind of um, transparency mechanism by putting all of the museum's financial transactions relating to their exhibitions on blockchain as subdomains of the ENS address. So they would issue um, Simon dot .eth or to and toby.bunuskunsala.eth if they wanted to pay us for something that they did. 
And the hope is the, the, the transparency was maybe less interesting than the idea of um, putting, we had all these ideas about how you could visualize that information, right? Like maybe that visualization of, of a transaction would be put on the wall next to the wall text for like a certain exhibition, right? Mm -hmm. And that led us to the idea of the, the transaction actually being more important than the art. <laughs> and um, I think the, the most interesting part of the idea is Sam had a really nice turn of phrase for it, is putting, account, putting accounting in the curatorial department, um, <laughs> allowing um, a, a transaction um, or a set of transactions that are visible to the public to be um, kind of the, the subject of, of the work or um, subject to public decision-making um, such that the work, the, the art itself, like more becomes supporting collateral for um, some sort of financial transaction that, that benefits um, the, the public or constituents of the, of the museum itself. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I found it a really interesting idea. I mean, working in art, being involved in arts, you're often dealing with who funds what, uh, who's accountable for that funding, uh, who's getting paid by whom, and how much is being spent. And uh, a certain amount of that, particularly with public money, is somewhat public, because if you, for example, receive a public grant, um, you're often published with how much that's mm -hmm. going and what that's going towards. But the level of granularity obviously is rather low. Even at that level, it's certainly not super available or at least super visible, I think. And this uh, proposal using kind of crypto governance styles and crypto infrastructure to take the transparency from blockchains mm -hmm. and enter that into something that people talk about increasingly, I think, in the museum, which is yeah. uh, the, vis the visibility of who's spending what on what and who gets which... Uh, monies was, I think, a really interesting one. Um, and I think that maybe relates also to the visibility of some piece of infrastructure like an ENS, which is basically like an internet address, a shorthand, a, a, a verbal um, shorthand mm -hmm. for what is often illegible code or code that is legible within another system, right? So it's, uh, it's yeah. um, like I have simondenny.net, I also have simondenny.eth, and those are kind of like two different ways that I interact with uh, big uh, network systems. So. I don't know. I thought that was quite an elegant way of doing it. Um, do, do you think uh, coming away from that, that experience, you would imagine that there would be other kind of uses as well of the ENS domains? Or do you, do you see that as, a, as, a, as something that could particularly benefit um, art institutions? Or did you guys kind of think that there might be other ways um, which similar things could benefit other, other public goods projects? If that's a fair question. <laughs> It is a fair question. We didn't really think about it, honestly. <laughs> sure. Um, I, I remember also that piece, something was really interesting, where um, I guess there was uh, a number of different layers to that artwork, and one of them was voting by some kind of way, live almost, uh, about the editing of a video, an older video of Hedos, yeah. uh, the, the, the video Strike. Can you reflect on that kind of translation of, uh, I guess, blockchain infrastructures into, like, uh, public participation in art editing? This is an art question, and I won't <laughs> be able to answer it in a satisfactory way. But, um... Sorry about that. Just gotta... Excuse me. Well, even though you gave me an appropriate Jeopardy theme, uh, I still wasn't able to come up with a good answer for that. <laughs> I suppose... I suppose it's... 
I don't know. There are a lot of different moving parts like to the, to that show, and um, I guess like maybe the interesting part of it was like, okay, this was interesting to me. Yeah. But this this is, doesn't really have to do with that work. That work was one of a number of works that the Bundeskunsthalle is acquiring. And as I was finding out about like how it came to be that the German Federal Art Museum was acquiring works for the first time, which it hasn't done in the past, which we found out during the research for that project, is that the Bundeskunsthalle does not own works typically, but it um, it is now for the first time. And what I found out is that as part of its COVID relief package, the German government decided to acquire works from a bunch of artists um, and it did a kind of, um, uh, they're being called regranter programs. That's maybe not the best way to describe it. It like kind of dispersed its um, curatorial selection of mm -hmm. artists to a bunch of people downstream of itself. So it ended up being like a bunch of well-known artists and then like an even larger number of emerging artists. I thought that was an extremely cool initiative. Mm -hmm. um, would love to see that type of federal support for the arts in the future. Um, maybe one interesting question is like, what would it look like for a chain to acquire a work of art? You're giving me an idea for a new Uniswap proposal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that maybe brings me onto something that I think is really interesting and novel in the kind mm. of like art crypto uh, crossover infrastructure world, and that is collecting DAOs, right? And, and maybe what you're, you know, when I describe NFTs to people and uh, try to describe the landscape of who consumes them and how is ownership looking uh, within those, I often reference DAOs, I reference them in relationship to museums because they're kind of ways mm -hmm. of collectively mm -hmm. owning, like, work, collecting work. Um, and, you know, I think if, for example, museums would want to move into the idea of kind of collecting NFTs, I think, you know, uh, merging or, or kind of uh, getting involved with um, existing DAOs who kind of are, you know, experts in some ways in, in what to acquire, what makes sense to acquire in terms of, like, uh, mm -hmm. groups of things. And I'm thinking of DAOs like Fingerprints DAO, who uh, focus on particularly totally. code-based uh, work, um, for example, and things that do something with the medium. That's their kind of proposal for what their collection's about. Um, that resembles a kind of museum infrastructure. And I guess it would be really interesting if protocols also were uh, other protocols that do other things, like financial institutions, in some ways like the Deutsche Bank does in the kind of IRL world. I don't know why Deutsche Bank came up, but they do visibly collect and have collections here. What would it be if a, if a protocol like uh, Uniswap, Uniswap would do that, right? Yeah. I wonder what that would look like. What would that even, what would that even mean? <laughs> there are a lot of implications. How would that work be displayed, for instance? Because the interfaces to Uniswap are proprietary while the protocol is not. Oh, interesting. Um, or would it mean that Uniswap protocol has a brand presence in some other world, in some sort of physical space? Right. Good questions. What Good if questions. the Bundeskunstler and Uniswap would come together, collect together, and have this kind of like... Uh, you know, interplay between those two things. I, I don't think that'll ever exist in a in, in a world, but uh, especially... You know, we brought them one step closer with the quadratic voting with thing, and uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility. You're definitely making me scheme, and <laughs> I love I love a good scheme. Right. Um, 
maybe a couple of other uh, words um, to, to kind of move on then, uh, representation. I don't feel like I'm doing a good job with like actually speaking to the specific words. I feel like I'm answering the questions, but not in a way that like connects them to the words. Uh, you can go back and speak to any of these words if you want. If maybe the reasons okay. why you put them down, um, does that does that make sense? Okay. If there's one I feel strongly about, I'll I'll, I'll do I'll do that. <laughs> Is any any that I've glossed over so far that you feel like you want to add more context to? Well, we'll see. I'm I'm not sure yet. Okay. Keep keep going with questions, and if and maybe we'll come back to one if if I feel like it somehow it's well, important. <laughs> I guess but I don't I don't know what's important to to you all who are in the room who uh, are, are behind me physically on this screen. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, um, I, mean I, think, I think hearing about what you do and why you do it and uh, the connections between blockchains and, and, and art and public, I think, is, uh, is a very interesting thing for, for all of us. And, and in terms of, I guess, what's held in a collection, maybe the next couple words that I was thinking of uh, pulling out was uh, representation and judgment, because I guess those, those things come oh, into goodness. collecting uh, a lot and are in your words. Um, and, and maybe uh, that also brings to like earlier work of yours uh, that I kind of got into as well in the preparation for this and that I was a bit aware of before then. You're writing on subpixel space, uh, which was a bit more broad than, than crypto, right? Um, do you Definitely. want to describe what that blog was? Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's my blog, um, but I wrote some, I wrote some, like, architecture criticism. I wrote about, um, I basically wrote cultural theory on that blog, and um, I still did some of my, my best solo thinking there, I, I think. Um, probably the, the stuff that I'm most known for is my uh, piece about uh, the diminishing value of aesthetic novelty and... Um, than my work on uh, authenticity aesthetics, um, but I had I had some other nice ones in there as well. Yeah, um, but I mean, mostly just a place for me to like work out what I was interested in and like ruminating on. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I thought because we're kind of uh, in a space of aesthetics as well as crypto and art. Um, you might want to talk about that reflection you did mm. on aesthetics um, and the idea of a diminishing okay. marginal value of aesthetics, as, as you put it. Um, mm. what, what can you say, uh, just summarizing that idea? Okay, now we're cooking. Um, that idea was that um, uh, the, the, the conceit of the essay was applying models that, uh, you, th that are popular in, um, in like, technology uh, business analysis to cultural production. Um, and the, the essence of the idea is that um, aesthetic novelty is basically becoming of less and less value because the underlying technological landscape is undermining, undermining the, the premises for that value um, because novelty is not really scarce its value is reduced it's it doesn't like feel as novel and because like aesthetic production has become much more of a consumer behavior than a uh, specialized skill um, it's also less valuable to like consume um like novel images and, and aesthetics and that that was the piece yeah i really I really wanted to say something to graphic designers and like producers and um, aesthetic laborers at the at the time 
who I felt were embroiled in uh, really pointless debates about authorship um, and and ownership and, and provenance that um, in, in my mind were ludicrous because like the the technology environment was undermining all of that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. One of the things I really like about the uh, NFT art world or the emergent NFT art world that that I've become um, in dialogue with is this idea where kind of iterating on a small thing is seen as contributing. And uh, one thing that I always return to is uh, this project Loot um, that I've talked about a number of times, I'm sure a lot, number of people have, uh, where um, <clears throat> it proposed something that wasn't there for a game that didn't exist. And uh, a lot of people then contributed with uh, responses to that, iterated on an idea, and it certainly wasn't, as you say, like about, um, uh, I guess, yeah. um, things that were original or things that were doing things for the first time. It was really more about like riffing on something that somebody proposed, and it was more conversational in that way too. And I guess ownership is kind of a, that way um, within the NFT space as well. Can you speak maybe to some of the aesthetic ideas that you, you thought about in this diminishing marginal value paradigm uh looking back uh like you wrote that kind of before the explosion of nfts right it was just as the nft uh, protocol was kind of being written um yeah yeah i mean it was more at the end of like the stylistic um i mean you can't really point to like stylistic innovation anymore um and even at the time of of writing all aesthetic choices had already kind of been played out. Um, you know, I know we're kind of now in this like weird, like medieval aesthetic, but like even that has like been, been done before. If you look at, look at the eighties there, like they had a kind of medieval moment as well. Um, and like stuff at, at that time, like what was looking new maybe was stuff like, um, yeah, like I, I mentioned Sam Rolf's work. Uh, I mentioned like, most dismal swamp or like some of those uh like kind of like energy can aesthetic type of type of thing um but even those are also like 80s callbacks in a way um so that that's like the type of work that i was thinking of that like is really putting a lot of craft in to like try to get something novel out of it and and also just the way in which um like designers like david or or sam or Michael Oswell or people with like an identifiable aesthetic were uh, like heroized at the time. Um, no problem with their work at all per se, more with like the culture of, of graphic design. And I think that, yeah, I mean, in, in NFTs, you don't, you don't get that at all. Like that's the, the value is not in the novelty. The mm -hmm. value is in that it makes money. Um, for one, but also it's, it's like the, you know, uniqueness is not uniqueness or novelty is not like the thing that, um, it's worth is premised on instead, like nobody even knows who, who like the artists behind, like a lot of big NFT collections are, or like the most popular NFT collections are like not really attributed to artists. People don't really care about like the team that makes Milady or, um, the team that makes board apes or, um, what they, or, or like loot, even like that being like a Dom Hoffman project, like what people care about is, yeah, like the participation, the participatory 
aspect or, or like the fact that, um, it's ownable. Drew Austin had like a very decent piece recently that, that kind of covered this, um, the aesthetics of crypto, like being premised on, on ownership and participation. And I think that is kind of what, that's kind of what has replaced novelty as the, um, driving like source of cultural value. Yeah, when I first came into contact with something like CryptoPunks or CryptoKitties, when I was first looking into uh, research around um, what NFTs were, um, I was at that time yeah. more interested in artists who were designing things uh, with crypto uh, that didn't look anything like ownable digital objects, more like kind You're of right. um, things that you could do um, artistically, like Terra Zero or something like that. Uh, yeah. But uh, but then I, I think more recently I, I found uh, my way to, to valuing those um, profile picture or PFP projects like CryptoPunks uh, for the, the way that they kind of um, express uh, yeah. a group of people and the, the group of people's investment in a group. Is is that something you relate to in this, yes. in this context? I, think, I mean, I don't personally relate to it because I don't really <laughs> participate in those communities. Um but I can understand it. It certainly aligns with like my theories of, of like what's happening. I am still also interested in like work that does things or yeah. Like my, my friend John is fond of saying like saying you're an NFT artist is like calling yourself a CD-ROM artist or an MP3 artist. And I think that's, that's true. Art has gone through a lot of evolutions and like a lot of different types of things that have different types of effects or feelings can be art. I also think that will be true of things that use the quote unquote file format of an NFT where, you know, it, it certainly doesn't have to be limited to like one of one or these collections, like they can update live, they can represent live data, they can open doors that, you know, they can do things. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of more waiting. I, th I think that's going to be a more interesting NFT art, at least for me. Um, the, the collections thing probably won't go away though. Right. Um, because it does have this, even, even the collections thing is like art that does something in that it provides membership to a community. Like a lot of it, yeah, it's used to gate discord channels and stuff like that. That's, that's a function that that's like very interesting and yeah w worth understanding i think when you describe that phenomenon um are you thinking about uh groups and protocols like friends with benefits uh, these these kind of social token uh things uh, if i could say that is is that something that you think is a is an interesting example of that type of usage they're the kind of well, biggest no, one on my... i'm more thinking about nfts but nfts can do that too and i think um i'm pretty sure miladies do that like i'm pretty sure you can only get access to certain parts of certain like channels of the Milady server if you are a Milady holder. Um, so that's, but of course it's, it's very similar in that respect to like the friends of benefits model. Yeah. I mean, when I launched my dotcom sans uh, token, like that's, uh, you know, the Folia uh, group who kind of were the publishers of it, I would say, have a discord and you could only access certain channels mm -hmm. if you owned certain tokens. Now uh, there's, there's the ability to do that architecturally. And then there's the kind of, social or I guess like energy uh, input needed to want to do that, um, which I think is different for different projects. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Miladies is a really interesting project in that sense. Maybe can you describe what a Milady is? Is that even worth uh, going into? Uh, how would you describe what that project is since you mentioned it a couple of times? Um, they are chibi style 
they're chibi style characters with like boot, wearing bootleg fashion clothing that's like automatically generated and given a, a drip ranking to like rank their style. And right. that's like related to their rarity where like, you know, the rarity is theoretically drives some sort of price or it like helps you establish a price on the market. It's a pretty common thing among in NFTs. Yeah. But I remember that protocol, like, sorry, that, um, that project was launched uh, and it didn't mint out like for ages it sat like uh, yeah. doing nothing and then there was a kind of surge of interest um, that then kind of turned it into something else uh, do you remember those two moments and I mean as somebody that I guess has looked into different ways of how projects function is there is there an idea of a public there that could relate to like the public goods idea um, that you were talking about people coming together around an NFT I'm seeing you shake your head no no <laughs> I mean the I think there's an idea of a public um, that like Michael Warner, who is author of Publics and Counterpublics, uses, which is a kind of media theory um, inspired version of public, which is when you publish something, um, it addresses an audience Mm -hmm. and it kind of like that, that audience kind of only exists by virtue of the fact of like being the reading public of that thing. Um, It like creates the public that like it, it calls into being. Uh, a public who are the audience of that thing. And I think you can think of crypto protocols or NFT projects also as that form of a public. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not say that this is a, that, that there is a, any sense of public good here. Mm-hmm. Um, not only because of the kind of dark lore behind the, like the, the lady project, but mm-hmm. also because of it's, it's just, it's just an NFT project. Right. Uh, well, I'm going to go kind of, um, I mean, we've gone through all of your words, uh, the words that you, you mentioned, but maybe as public and good were at the beginning of this conversation, maybe I would ask you if you and, and other internet or other people you're working alongside have come across anything or are looking at anything that you're really excited about at the moment in your work, um, mapping these spaces out. Because I think in terms of, uh, I don't know, people coming in and really trying to figure out this from a, from a social angle with a kind of benefit uh, idea in mind, you must have your eye on some interesting things. You mean crypto specifically? If, if you want to talk about things outside of crypto, I think that's also fine. Right. But, uh, but yes, since you're working in crypto, I thought that might be where we start. Right. Like, what are you guys excited about is the simpler way to say that. Nothing. I think we can yeah. we continue to be um, intrigued by the possibility of what happens when communities that form online, whether through their affiliation with crypto or otherwise, try to go offline. Hmm. And we've initiated some projects that seek to understand what that might look like. Um, Aaron Lewis on our team is wrapping up a study of neighborhood associations and like hyperlocal governance communities. So civic activity um, and like how that has been affected by post COVID like jump onto Zoom and and stuff, like how that's changed those communities. Mm. Has it made them more like online communities in, in certain ways? And like how has it introduced stakeholders that don't actually live in those live in those neighborhoods themselves? Um, we are definitely interested to see what will happen as that plays out. It's not really clear to us, like how that will work when like these communities, which in some way have 
constituted a large part of their identities around um, these sovereignty concepts and these like state resistance, law resistance concepts come into contact with real land um, and like real property that's subject to real law. Hmm. It, it will be very interesting to see what plays out hmm. there. Um, because at the same time, some of these communities have a lot of capital to deploy. And um, using money is like how you move things around, not just in bits, but atoms as well. Um, like money is how you get things done in politics. It's how you get things built in a city and how you build stuff outside of a city too. So uh, we're, we're very curious to see what will happen there. And it feels like one of the more important parts of this whole um, thing that is happening that crypto is part of, I guess. Right. So, so kind of what happens when you take, as you said earlier, some of that capital that is accumulated or in some cases being kind of generated in crypto and kind of move that through the logic of crypto out into other areas. Yeah. As long as crypto remains mostly DeFi, that will be the most interesting question to ask, right. I think. Um, is like how does how will this money get spent? Because when it, as long as crypto is DeFi, then it will continue to go through these boom and bust cycles. Um, it will continue to be mostly speculation. It will continue to like enrich certain people and like maybe continue to enrich like new subsequent generations um, through like development of new primitives like. NFTs or yield farming or whatever have you, um, which benef benefit like the uh, like last year's generation of adopters. Um, but it can only do that as long as crypto is DeFi, it can only do that um, because the money will stay inside the virtual economy. What's interesting is what happens when you reattach the virtual economy to the corporeal one. Mm. And yeah, back to Brian's claim that the most lasting impact of crypto may be its philanthropic impact. You may also extend that hypothesis to uh, things that are not quite philanthropic, but philanthropy adjacent, like politics or real estate development mm. or city planning or something. Being involved in art, I'm always thinking about um, these things as well because uh, people that tend to support art also comes from philanthropy. Um, so that's something For I'm sure. very aware of. And, and as I've gone on as an artist, uh, something that I tended to pay more attention to was stock markets going up and down. And I think uh, in, in, the recent, um, in the recent weeks, uh, we've seen a huge downturn in the stock market and in various other financial markets. And one of the claims that crypto had was that, uh, well, maybe one of the behaviors that it had was that it wasn't so much tethered to the real economy, so to speak, um, in the same way when markets went down in the past, crypto markets didn't tend to necessarily follow. And there were some claims around Bitcoin that I remember around it being kind of a hedge against uh, uncorrelated markets. Asset. Exactly, uncorrelated yeah. asset. Um, in the light of this kind of philanthropic thing and, and the kind of real world impact that you're nudging towards, do you think the fact that this time crypto followed uh, to a certain extent, other markets um, says something about how close they're getting to a real economy and what that might mean? 
Good question, because this is this is really a question about the the. I would have to know a lot more to answer this question, <laughs> because I think the, the, this question is actually a question about how much institutional capital is invested in crypto. Right. Um, like how many funds, pension funds, for example, are are invested in crypto and ETFs like mm-hmm. and, and like, you know, big index funds. So that would definitely be something that would like make both of those track similarly. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know. Um, as to how it relates to like the philanthropic impact, I think we're still very early in in the days for that. And crypto like isn't crypto is not even close to having its philanthropic moment yet. It's done a lot of charity, but like people in crypto aren't really finished with crypto. Um, to Nadia, our collaborator Nadia's point about these things being generational cycles, tech philanthropy is like having it. It's going to have its moment now b- before crypto philanthropy. Hmm. Um, but perhaps the kind of YOLO energy of crypto like makes it more likely to FOMO into uh, FOMO into becoming good, as I like to say. That's quite a nice phrase, maybe to close things up on, Toby. I don't want to take too much of your time, and we've clocked into what we've booked of you just now. Um, so, do you want to leave the conversation with any reflection, either on your? seed phrase or on anything we've discussed? Do you want to augment any any things that we've touched on? Let me see about that. <laughs> Would you like me to read your seed phrase to, to jog you? Uh, sure. Okay. Public, procedure, judgment, automation, rotation, liberal, imagination, past, spirit, discourse, representation, good. This world is ending. It's a good time to pay attention to new infrastructure that's getting laid. Don't be stuck in the the world that's ending. That's a very inspiring phrase to go out on, potentially. Thank you very, very much for being with us today, Toby. Uh, You've been very generous with your time and thoughts. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that was a great conversation. Much appreciated. Cheers. That was Seed Phrase. Thanks so much to Toby. His reflections on other internet doing unique ethnographic work inside crypto's iconic cultures like those of Uniswap are invaluable and fascinating. This and other ongoing work of Toby and his other internet colleagues, Laura Lotti, Sam Hart, and many others can be found at otherinter.net. Of course, also a very special thanks to our patient host, The New Institute, who have arranged the space and support for these special conversations again. The music for this podcast is from Amnesia Scanner's Scammer Project. See you next time.